0: Hello and welcome to Newspeak, the New Cultural Forum's weekly look at the news agenda. I'm joined, as usual, pleased to say, by Rafe Hadelman Koo, our Senior Fellow, Historian and moral Commentator, and this week by a uh, guest who's been on a number of times before, Neil Anderson, former Director of Migration Watch. Uh, before we look at our topics for this week, just a message. Uh, as you know, we're doing a lot of our locals events throughout the country, and the next one coming up is actually on September the 27th, that's Wednesday, September the 27th in Birmingham. And uh, please, if you're in Birmingham or around about Birmingham, please do come along. It will be a great evening. They've been proving to be very, very successful. Mostly a social evening, but we shall be there and uh, look forward to meeting you. If you want to know details of where and when, then please do go to events, at newcultureforum.org.uk. That's next, well, two Wednesday's time, yes, 27th of September. Uh, We'll see you there. Uh, What we're going to be talking about today, of course, is pretty much unavoidably Russell Brand and this huge scandal that has basically blown up in the past week. Um, I think it's fair to say we'll be talking as much about the reaction to it as about the actual issue itself. Uh, We're also going to be looking at this rewriting of history, which is going on at an infant level, if you like, Uh, in various children's books. You might have seen the uh, palaver that there was about um, horrible histories, which the BBC put out. But there's also another book called Brilliant Black British History, which has, shall we say, an idiosyncratic line on British history. And then finally, of course, uh, we're going to be uh, discussing the events at Lampedusa as well. Um, let's start with Russell Brand, because everyone else is. Um, Neil, what do you make about, what do you make of the reaction
1: to this? It seems to have been entirely polarizing. Absolutely. Um, it seems to be that we, we got, depending upon your view of Russell Brand as, yeah. a, as an individual and as, a, as an entertainer, um, and now as a sort of YouTube influencer, um, that seems to shape um regardless of your you know the fact that you have no evidence or no um particular knowledge of the intricacies of the events that um he is being accused of beyond this documentary that in some way you already have a very clear position on uh where you stand vis-a-vis his guilt or innocence and we've seen this with on both sides of the political spectrum we've seen it you know with the likes of you know Jordan Peterson coming out and uh sort of defending him and we've seen it obviously on the other side that you know huge amount of accusation and finger pointing. Um I find most disturbing, I find the fact that we, you know, we are more broadly in this trial by media again, mm. whereby, you know, regardless what you think of Russell Brand, and I personally I you know I don't have much time for his comedy or his pseudo-intellectualism, but he is entitled yeah. to a completely um, fair trial if, if mm. charges are brought which they as far at this point in time they still have not been
0: mm.
1: um, and it's hard to see how such a thing can happen in such a freeborn environment yeah would you go along with that actually
2: yeah I've, i found the fallout from this to be very d- depressing and disappointing because it's shown how rigid the division now is within society and how tribal we've become and uh, you can almost tell, essentially, who's going to be pro-brand and who's going to be mm. anti-brand on, on all of this. You know, as, you know, as with Neil, my view is very simple. We have the presumption of innocence and trial by media is, 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 is lamentable. And we've seen, for example, with Kevin Spacey, how Kevin Spacey had the same trial by media. Everyone assumed he was guilty. He lost all of his work. He's been exonerated on all charges and um, may not have been the most ideal person. To, to the people he was interacting with, but is innocent in the eyes of the, of the law and should be able to have his career restored, and it hasn't been. And I think Russell Brand is entitled to the same presumption of innocence, even though I might personally find him an, an, an odious character, uh, someone who is quite um, clearly has been promiscuous in his handling with, with women, somebody who, you know, in his 20s and 30s, was an admitted uh, uh, drug addict and, and had, an, an, had an alcohol addiction. So whilst the majority of people he encountered may have found him very fine, you can imagine under such situations where some incidents may have happened. So yeah. I think even if you like Russell Brand and I know that in the last three years he's drawn a lot of great support from the right uh, for the videos he's made and and I think he's made some excellent videos but of course even our all heroes can have feet of clay and so the point I, I really don't see being made too much on our side is the fact that you can adore Russell Brand's product but also believe that he is capable of having done these things Mm. 10, 20 years ago when he was a very different person and he was under the influence of drugs and alcohol and I just find it very odd that the people who were condemning Hugh Edwards and Philip Schofield so so rapidly are defending Russell Brand, just as people on the left who were defending Hugh Edwards and Philip Schofield are now going for Russell Brand. I think on both sides, people have become so tribal that they've lost the ability to critically Uh, Assess the situation and it's entirely possible that there is an agenda to get Russell Brand It's entirely possible that the left and the mainstream media want to take down Russell Brand I'm sure many people believe that but that doesn't mean that the allegations aren't in themselves true Mm -hmm. And we're not privy Mm -hmm. to enough information to make that value judgment We need to wait and see whether there's going to be a criminal investigation Mm -hmm. And so I just wish everybody would just take a step back and let the law take its natural course
0: But I mean this is Well, you know, you talk about us being tribal, but isn't this also the fault of, you know, almost die by the, live and die by the sword, you know, that it's all about social media, really, isn't it? I mean, people, it was extraordinary, people coming out and, you know, as you said, coming out and defending him, like, within minutes, you know, and then criticising him within minutes, and nothing. I think there's a police investigation going on now, isn't there,
1: finally? Yes, I mean, the police were handed over all of the evidence yes. from the uh, the team that put together the documentary. Um, but, you know, and obviously the police are you know, obligated to look at that evidence and consider that evidence. Mm. But they, you know, at this point in time, no charges have been levelled against Russell Brand. But he's mm. already obviously had, you know, a huge number of... His, you know, his charities are stepping away from him. He's... Um, his funding streams inevitably are going to be undermined. Well, YouTube has actually stopped
0: yes, yeah. yeah. monetizing yeah. him. And I
2: think it's scandalous that YouTube would do that. Again, YouTube mm. has taken a side and taken a position mm. which I think is completely indefensible. The man is entitled to, to be judged by a group of his peers. Until that time, YouTube must continue to monetize his content. But yes, I do think you know people were coming out and making defenses mm. and arguments against him the very moment that, that his name was announced, before they'd even seen the, the allegations, mm. In the, in, the, uh, in the dispatches uh, program. And I think, and I think that, that's, that's lamentable.
0: But do you think... I... But also,
2: the other point was, you know, just five years ago, this was a man who was attacking Nigel Farage very publicly mm. on uh, Newsnight, if you remember, not on Newsnight, mm. on Question Time, on immigration, calling him essentially a fascist. Now, if these allegations had come out five years ago, we would have had mm. the reverse tribalism. Mm. People on the left would now be defending, defending him, and people on the right would be attacking him. It's the same person. His politics have changed over the five years that doesn't mean his actions 20 years ago uh have changed we need to judge them fairly
0: but he's not actually it's not right to say he's a conservative is he no but
1: he certainly i mean he's extended his sort of anti-establishment position which used to be um you know very much coming from the left into a a much more cynical distrust of (laughs) of the entire political class which is fairly understandable um and there is obviously a uh you know, he has, in I think, personally gone down the rabbit hole on some of his um, sort of lines mm. of attack recently. But equally, he is raising very, very real questions and issues, particularly around um, Western involvement in Ukraine and around COVID and response to COVID. Um, the, the fact that these positions that he's taking very much contravene the mainstream narrative has certainly, I think, um, contributed towards the willingness of the mainstream now to go mm. about bringing him down. Yeah. Um, but obviously, the fact is that... And these were the very people, remember, who built him up, you know, early the, mm. the peak of his career in the noughties and, you know, you know in 20, mm. early 2010s. You know, he was a Hollywood film star. He was a very, very famous comedian. He was doing uh, radio, um, mm. a BBC radio. He was doing, uh, you know, columns for newspapers. You know, he was a very, very high-profile figure that the media... Mm. you know he was sort of a darling of the media um you know he there was that you know very uh, sickly uh, interview he did with uh, ed miller parents yes. um in the run-up to the 2015 election this is someone who was you know uh, you know very much built by the mainstream mm. media and now he has turned on them one mm. does sense that you know they far, they have far less qualms about actively trying to bring him down
0: what i've noticed as well is that now people are kind of starting to condemn what they used to call a terrible phrase the noughties you know they they're looking at the culture of the noughties which basically was about lads and ladettes. i mean you know i would g- go along with some of what you say. i've always found him pretty repellent actually i have to say and then certainly not funny i mean <laughs> he wasn't even really a comic actually but he had all the attributes loved or beloved by the liberal establishment you know he was kind of a You know idiosyncratic he was a you know all the hair and the kind of slightly jesus quality all of this and also just spouting anti-monarchist stuff spouting anti this anti that so they all basically loved him because those are the sort of people who are in the media um but also there's one interesting thing you say people were covering for him for him that showing personalities generally in the media and i mean i worked for 10 years doing programs about people The atmosphere in which they are, um, they are uh, handled is one of extreme deference, you know, there we go. and gratitude more than anything, gratitude for being on our show gratitude for being on Wogan in the 1980s, or Parkinson, or any of these things. And it was basically, it was, it was something particularly you got in the arts and showbiz world. Uh, that's why you get these endless interviews, which are so banal, because you can't ask them any questions. But, so I think there was that going on. But one thing, I wonder what you think of here, is that with this um, media assault, if you like on him, you know, uh, whatever, uh, why? Uh, this, this still comes in my mind, you know, why take the massive force of the Sunday Times <clears throat> and Channel 4 and cu- when you think of the investigations they used to do about thalidomide or about um, expenses in Parliament, things like that, things of really importance.
2: That's why I say it's entirely possible that there is an agenda out to get this man yeah. because he is essentially, you know, uh, he's, he's turned, he's become an apostate. Mm-hmm. And he is working against mainstream media. He's getting many more views. You know, he's got a much larger audience with his six million followers than Newsnight or any show on mainstream television mm-hmm. can hope to get. Of course, that doesn't mean that the allegations are necessarily incorrect. Although they may, mm-hmm. they may, they may be, com- they may, may be completely false. We don't know that. But yes, I think there is there is evidence of that. But yeah. But to go back to your previous point, it is interesting how he's not really a stand-up comic. Most stand-up comics mm-hmm. will say he's not a comedian. He was never really part of the circuit or anything else. He was a character. And I don't want to draw any connection between his activities and Jimmy Savile, but these are people who basically were larger-than-life eccentric characters, Jonathan King, all the sort of characters, and they were eccentrics who lived a larger life, and that's, it was their oddity that made them into celebrities. And just like Jimmy Savile did, they were both basically admitting to what they were doing and their promiscuous lifestyles became a part of their routine, right? Mm-hmm. It became part of their joke. Uh, and you can just almost see the the groundwork being laid for this, so you can you can see where these allegations would would have had their origin and why people would have thought well there's something more to this. But the Noughties, you know, were no different to the 1990s. You know, in fact, the Noughties were probably a bit tamer than mm. the 1990s. I, I thought the 90s and the Noughties were far better than today, a much freer society. Yes, a bit debauched and a bit decadent and raucous, mm. but actually, I much prefer the ability to have free speech that you had back then. If you didn't like watching things, I mean, remember they used to have they had even a quiz show with Keith Chegwin, who was completely naked, I remember. Yes, yes. But how is that different to what Channel 4 does now, where you have naked education mm-hmm. showing naked bodies to young children, where you had a transsexual playing uh, the, the um, piano with a penis, and where you had um, you have this other show a dating naked attraction, where people are being judged yes. by their bodies and who they date. Now, how, how is today's world any more civilized than the 1990s or the noughties? Well, it's sort of dressed up, isn't it, as being
0: somehow something slightly different or it's ironic or whatever, but no, I think it was absolutely true. We also, there was a program you might remember called The Word with uh, Terry Christian. Christian, um, uh, who's a bit of a sad figure now, but at the time it was like things that people would do to get on television. There was one slot they always had. It was the most disgusting thing. Anyway, this was the culture, uh, I suppose, at the time. Um, But And also you had... uh, naked weather girls on live TV. I don't know any remember live TV? Mm-hmm. Naked, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. naked, you know, all of this. Is t- <laughs> I know it's sounding like Mary Whitehouse, but uh, back to the question in, in hand, what do you think happens to him now, Russell Brand? I mean, given that even if these things prove to be correct and he's charged, given that the fact that he's got such an embedded, devoted, audience. This will just be grist to their mill, won't
1: it? Maybe. I think, you know, if he is found guilty in a court of law of, you know, essentially sexually abusing women, I I think he's going to, Mm. you know, lose quite a lot of credibility. I would hope he would lose credibility. Um, I think, you know, the problem is that we we almost have this trial going on in the public space. Mm. Um, And that's really where, you know, in the short term, you know, how does he Respond to that. I mean, if he's sensible, he just keeps quiet and gets good legal advice. Mm. And, uh, you know, the, the tragedy is that if he is found not guilty of any of this, even if he is charged, in the event he's charged, or even if he's not charged, ultimately,
0: yeah.
1: the tar of this the, you know, will stick. And, you know, he will forever be, you know, um, his reputation will forever be tarnished. Mm. And I, I think that is very, I think that's quite tragic that we live in a society whereby an accusation Mm. immediately becomes to some extent a presumption of guilt yeah and we have seen that especially in the context of um, the me too movement mm-hmm. you know, we've seen that a lot of course some people have been behaved absolutely reprehensibly and have gone to prison um, rightly so um, but the fact is that, as you mentioned, Kevin Spacey is a good example of someone who mm. his behaviour may not have been perfect, but if he was found not guilty in a court of law... Exactly. Um, ...you know, by you know, the fact that this is one, you know, undoubtedly one of the, the greatest actors of, of modern times, mm. now you know, will struggle to get much work. He might have some sort of rehabilitation in the way that Mel Gibson did, um, but really and truly, I think, you know, what we're seeing with, uh, you know, Russell Brand is already so much of the, what he has built in his own unique and flamboyant way probably the difference is of course really Kevin
2: Spacey was always part of the left establishment <laughs> and so he doesn't have anywhere to go whereas Russell Brand I mean see I think Russell Brand is a much nicer person now than he was 20 years ago I think he's been on a personal journey I think he's got rid of many of the demons that he had in his early years when he up to his 30s when he was obsessed with drunk with, dr- with drugs and, and drinking and so forth so I think there is a space if he is acquitted his fan base will stay loyal to him. And he has a fan base now, which is, doesn't depend upon Hollywood um, as Kevin Spacey is dependent upon Hollywood. The issue is, will YouTube re-monetize him? Because mm. the vast majority of his income comes, a million pounds a year, comes from YouTube. And if they don't monetize him, there's no incentive. There's no reason for him to pro- keep producing content there. Uh, and so we'll need him to find other avenues. Now, Elon Musk has already come out in support of him yes. on, on X. Yeah. And we know full well that Tucker Carlson's enjoying another life on, uh, on X now that uh, he's left Fox News. So actually, I can absolutely see how he can very much carry on doing, doing you know, some actually, decent work.
0: That's the, he could end up just simply on uh, X, what was called Twitter, you know, uh, just like Tucker Carlson. Because yeah. uh, Tucker Carlson is now getting, what? Extraordinary numbers, millions, isn't
2: he? He's now getting more views than the entire population of the United States for his videos, really? um, which just shows you, get fired from, from legacy media and mm. your views go up exponentially.
0: Mm. <laughs> mm. Well, there's another thing that's happened this week is we've had two instances, uh, basically, of something which we've sort of covered on the channel before. But uh, the, the BBC uh, put out something called Horrible Histories, you know it, it was a number of books kids books about history you know and but there's also a show a tv show uh which well to say that it it purported to show how black people had been in britain from the very word go right and there were lots of songs about it and, and all of that and how we you know we were always here and everything. and then at the same time there's also been a new book out which is called as i said in the intro um black brilliant black british history which goes so far as to say that in fact black people were here
2: first before uh white people came um
0: where do you start on this Ralph, really
2: well i mean we have to call it out for i mean this is propaganda that you know stalin or goebbels would have been proud of i mean mm-hmm. it's the completely ahistorical it's an attempt to not only rewrite history but just to to, to blackwash history and to prevent to present an entirely false a completely disingenuous history this isn't these aren't people who are mistaken but there's a deliberate attempt to um to mislead young impressionable minds and the fact that the bbc for example are behind this horrible histories video i think is an outrage because all of our taxpayer money has been going to fund this uh, this propaganda this book is even worse. this black history brilliant black history book written by a woman with one name who comes from nigeria who's a poet or something she's, not, she's, she's, she's showing a picture of it now actually for you up there so yeah. the, the author of this book isn't a historian and we are dealing with a very complex science about the uh, about in, in, in relation to this book she claims that there were black people in britain before white people arrived and that black people built stonehenge And by black people, she quite clearly means what people assume black person means, somebody from sub-Saharan Africa. And there's absolutely no evidence of this. It's completely false to say that there are any sub-Saharan Africans or their descendants, or their or with their genetic makeup in the British Isles 10,000 years ago. Now, there were darker skinned people, that's because of the way that the populations migrated, but they were closer to the populations you would find in the Middle East. So mm. quite close to, similar to, to Turkish people, or to Greek people, or to mm. people from, from parts of, of Italy, or Corsica, for example. So the idea that, the, the, but there's a deliberate attempt. So you may have seen references to black skinned people in the Middle Ages, and so forth. that's because people were comparing them to themselves but they were talking about perhaps North Africans for a case you know but North Africans again are not sub-Saharan Africans that the they have European style noses and their the shape of their skulls and everything else is clearly from an Indo-European background rather than from an African background and to try to pretend that it's otherwise I think is disgraceful and this is now being taught In schools, quite clearly, these books are being present and these videos are being presented. BBC Bitesize is part of our education system now. And I think it's absolutely indefensible.
0: Would you, uh, I mean, what do you think is,
1: do you think we're taking this too seriously? No, I don't think we're taking it too seriously at all. I think it's um, a representation of the fact that the increasingly obvious debacle of multiculturalism and diversity um, that has been imposed upon us by the establishment, and let's even just focus on the BBC for the time being, very much can, it can't survive the contact with reality. You know, the, the claims that are made on its behalf that in some way, we've always been a nation of immigrants. The, you know, the mongrel race is a common mm. phrase that we hear. And we know from genetic studies, you know, multiple genetic studies, including one very uh, significant one a couple of years ago at the University of Cambridge, That the vast majority of white British people um, today, still the vast uh, bulk of their DNA is from pre-Roman Britons. Mm. Um, And, you know, with uh, obviously in parts of England, there's a a slightly higher sort of percentage of Anglo-Saxon in that. But nowhere does it exceed 40 percent anywhere. So, you know, the British people do have a history going back into, you know, the, you know mm. pre-Roman times, certainly, a very clear genetic um, link to the people of the past. Yes. Um, that is not, has no, there is no uh, presence in any way, to any degree of significance, of um, black, you know, sub-Saharan African um, DNA in mm. the vast majority of white British people. So, you know, it's... But the thing is, in order to therefore validate what is a completely, you know, a dangerous experiment of, you know, this, this news, or, you know, diversity, multiculturalism, this is, and the idea to normalize this. To do that, you have to erase hmm. white people from their own history. You cannot allow British, white British people, to lay claim to any sense of indigenousness hmm. in these islands. Because if you accept that there is an indigenous population, and that uh, actually, therefore, you know, the, you know, it's only natural. It, you know, it's only natural, therefore, that that indigenous population might wish to retain its culture mm. in the same way that we are very, the very, you know, the, the very same people who deny this notion of white British indigenous culture are very, very much behind um, celebrating the indigenous cultures of Canada mm. or you know, America or Australia or you know this you know, and once again, you know, an example of the great hypocrisy of all of this, but you if you deny white British people a history, yes, then it enables you to drive your ghastly experiment of multiculturalism and diversity yeah. in a way that you can't do if you acknowledge mm. that you know we've been here a long time, and historically your know, waves of immigration were very, very small into these islands, even at times of invasion and huge socio cultural upheaval, Roman mm-hmm. invasion, the Viking um, incursions, and obviously the Norman conquest—you know—they they changed our DNA microscopically.
2: I mean, that's the—that's the important point here. I mean, the, the amazing thing is that despite Roman occupation, the Romans left almost no legacy behind here yeah. in terms of in terms of genetics and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most white British people carried on and the the Roman Empire was just an anomaly. It's a bit different when you get to the Normans and you get to the Anglo- Anglo- Anglo-Saxons. Even then it was quite limited. Uh, but, then, but yeah, even then it was, it was, it was absolutely limited. Uh, ultimately, yeah, and of course Neil's also very right, the only indigenous population that's not celebrated are white Europeans. Maybe Laplanders are celebrated, but apart from that, no one else is, is celebrated. Ultimately, this is about the creation of new foundation myths, isn't it? Myths are very powerful. All cultures have them. They inspire people. You remember Sadiq Khan saying that London was a, was a city built by immigrants. London's old powerful foundation myth was that it was founded by Brutus of Troy, connecting us to the classical world after the defeat of Gog and Magog. That was a powerful, inspirational myth for people uh, living in the Elizabethan era and so forth. This is just the same sort of attempt to create this new myth that London, that Britain was created by immigrants. And it's, it's a compelling myth when it's backed up by this sort of propaganda. And when you have the apparatus of the state through the media uh, perpetuating it with the, with these nonsense videos. But the thing is, it, it, the problem with
0: this surely is, is that the general confidence in themselves has been so diminished, that most people will just simply turn a blind eye to this kind of thing, won't they? These books or this thing. It, ma- it makes us very angry. I mean, you know, on a visceral level, the, the lie of it makes us angry. But most people will say, ah, oh, well, you know, won't they?
1: Yeah, but that may be true. I may be true mm. of the adult population, but the, the, the most disturbing thing about this is the target audience. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're talking about our children. Mm. <laughs> Um, we're talking about the future generations who have to understand the context in which we exist today and where we have come from. And by feeding them this distortion, they will grow up not believing in any context of you know, a traditional sense of Britishness that we understand and mm. have understood in this country mm. for millennia. Mm. Um, the, you know, the children are the most vulnerable to, to this type of propaganda. Mm. And we know that institutionally, you know, looking at the education system... Um, you know it's quite worrying you know you've touched on this many times before the extent to which um, you know they are being fed a very distorted sense of history a very distorted understanding of what society means Um, and you know you know adults may or may not turn a blind eye to this but children ultimately are going to be exposed to this Mm. they're the ones getting fed this and instead of creating a unified society with a shared common heritage um, we're simply saying that, you know, nothing, particularly to the, to the white British children, that you, know, you have no um, a special claim on anything from, that your ancestors mm. produced or did, that essentially we would deny you that in order to feed you, as you say, these new foundations of this new society upon which we are all simply immigrants, including the white indigenous people. And the
2: idea, and, you know, and of course the, the, the value and purpose of teaching true and accurate history is to, to provide uh, an apparatus, a skeleton for social cohesion, for us mm. to come together. Things that we can all look that unite us together as a people, and that we can draw inspiration from, and this idea, and we can celebrate. And the idea that of this cultural relativist idea is actually more than cultural relativism. It's a, it's the stealing of a, of a proud history by an, by by another culture by saying, well, actually, it was it was black people who brought over the technologies and the mathematics and the science. Well, I'm sorry if that was the case. Then why don't we see any great architecture in sub-Saharan Africa? Why don't we see any of these, these the, the equivalents that was, you're alleging was they brought over? To, to these islands here. And I think that the insidious nature of this is that no society can s- survive and sustain itself if it's constantly being undermined from within. And there's, it, there's, it's corrosive to, not just to our, the, the education of our children, but when they grow older, to the fabric of our society because they'll think that there's nothing in this country that's worth defending because none, none of it is legitimately ours. Well, I think that that is actually the conclusion a lot of people now have gone
0: to. I mean, you've got young kids, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, how do you... say monitor what they're seeing what they're what they're being taught being you know what they're reading
1: my my kids are still very young um so i've not yet encountered a sort of anything that glaringly concerns Mm -hmm. me um and uh you know i i don't really i can't really talk from any particular experience of of Mm. anything that stands out as an issue however um, in terms of monitoring what they see, I mean, this is a whole different conversation, of course. But you know, you can only, as a parent, try to control their access to um, we'll take you know, horrible dubious histories. information. You know, that's um, or if if they are exposed to it, you know, against your you know, mm-hmm. your will, and you, you find that out. Then obviously to correct them. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you know, and obviously in a strong, as we you know, as historically society has strong family units, ultimately most real education goes on within. The family unit, mm. in terms of how you are brought up, how you perceive the world, mm. um, you know, education gives you the tools to engage and be a productive member of society. But you know, your sense of fundamental place and belonging in society must be shaped by family, not by um, government edict through the education mm. system. Mm. And so, you know, that's our responsibility, obviously, as parents and you know, all yes. parents everywhere, to ensure that their children are, you know whatever the state is whatever line the state is trying to impose upon them that in some way if you find that dubious or questionable that you are willing to
2: correct that and We're also wasting so much of our children's time by, by focusing on these subjects at mm. school You know they have they have a whole day dedicated to Henry VIII's black trumpeter who was a complete non-entity You know mm. um, but a whole day but nothing will, will be taught about Copernicus or about Martin mm. Luther Or about mm. truly great figures who are you know our children growing up completely ignorant about them mm. And yet people who are de- deserving of just a footnote in history get entire lessons.
0: Yes, in fact, uh well actually they won't know anything about them and if they do know anything it will be that they somehow, their greatness derived on the back of slavery or something like that which didn't even exist in the form in which we are usually talking about it, I mean it's it's terribly terribly worrying um, finally we've had a situation in Lampedusa uh, which I believe at the time that we're talking now, you you started off with something like ten thousand people going on boats to this small island of what six thousand people. It now has reached something like eighteen thousand, I think. And these are mostly coming from
1: where? Do you?
2: Or North or, Africa? Or mostly
1: from the The people themselves are from primarily from West Africa. West South. Africa, Burkina Faso, um Sierra Leone, hmm. Mali. Um hmm. obviously they're they're getting to Tunisia. Um it seems that many of these people may have been in Tunisia for some time, maybe even working. Um, but obviously, the Tunisian uh, government of late has had a bit of a crackdown mm. um, on these people. Um, and you know, what's astonishing is that you know the fact that it is in such a intense wave. Yes. Um, and you know. It, <laughs> There is sort of media talk around the fact that there had been some big storms, and so this had been sort of building up on the Tunisian coast, and now the storms have abated. These people are coming over in droves. Um, but, you know, I mean, there are also you know, it, um, people obviously from North Africa and the Middle East, and some from East Africa. But the fact is that the, the principle of this is you know, just a, a, an intensification of what we've been seeing ongoing for mm. the last sort of 10 years. Um, and you know, whether or not this is a, an, a one-off, um, which I consider unlikely, um, or whether it's actually part of a, a new... Um, amplification of the problem uh, um, I think well, we're yeah sure. and there
2: are there are those who who are quite serious about suggesting that the Wagner group may be involved in this or two and that Putin uh, Russia uh, sees because we, we know full well that Putin <coughs> sees migration as a extremely useful weapon to be yeah. using and the fact that he knows that migrants are a weapon should be a lesson for everybody all the liberal hearted liberals on, on the left who think that migration is a good thing I think Putin understand that's why we, we saw Belarus actually being a channel by which putin was trying to channel migrants into europe uh, through through the polish border and through through belarus ch- inviting them to come to belarus from from uh, through safe routes uh, because you can see that the european union Is uh, under such tense pressure from these different competing countries within the EU and sure and the the evidence here is quite clear there was obviously some orchestration behind 200 boats carrying 18,000 people arriving onto the shores of Italy and we can now see that the European Union is under pressure here is buckling Hungary and Poland are not going to take any I'd be very surprised if Germany takes any Uh, um, Italy's pleading for this to happen and uh, you can see that the the fissures are beginning to appear again within the EU. I think this is such a sinister and deadly foretelling of things to come. Mm -hmm. The population of Africa is so large, it's huge, and just one wave can bring that many people in. It doesn't take many more than that to destabilize a major country like Italy. And once, once that happens, then you can see a major crisis coming throughout, throughout all of Europe. And I think it should be things like this, that lighter touch paper, you would hope, and we'll get all of Europe united to say we have to actually change our policies and our plans. Our very laudable asylum policies were decided in the 1950s after the Second World War. The world of today is a very different world, and we should have the ability to just take people out of the country immediately. This is the, the problem is, you see, is that, you
0: know, you, yes, of course, you in an ideal world it would wake people up. it would wake people up it's a feeling for me that this is one of those totem uh, events in this whole discussion of migration actually but you look at these these young men they are young men right and they don't behave like refugees at all they're quite aggressive actually with some scenes where they certainly are not grateful to be on you know safe uh, land or whatever but the, the thing which always confuses me and most people is where is the will to actually stop something which is happening in front of your very eyes? Why do you even let these boats actually even stop?
2: And if you want to stop the yeah. far right getting elected, this is precisely what you don't do.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, and there is no political will, though, really, mm. ultimately. In the, you know, Firstly, let's remember that Italy cannot really enact an independent um policy on this Mm. Um, the eu have you know maloney got elected on the on the back of being strong on immigration to some extent um and has you know is being seen to fail on that Mm. Um, and you know the fact is at the moment that the eu you know have dangling lots of money you know to to to, to the italians um as part of this post-covid rebuilding I think Italy is the largest recipient of this EU money in, in the EU. Um, and obviously, you know, behind the scenes, they're basically laying down quite strict conditions on, you know, this money will continue to flow if you, um, yeah. you well, know, uh, don't you know, take a unilateral approach to dealing with this problem.
2: And it, the talk is still about how do we disperse these people mm, around Europe. It's not how do we send them back. Yeah, exactly and this, uh, the fact uh, that they're still having mm, these arguments as if this will be the last ever boatload mm, to yeah. come upon the shores. And scale. this
1: dispersal mechanism... That they are lauding, has failed monumentally. I mean, this year Italy has received around 130,000 asylum seekers. Um, just over 1,000 of those have so far been distributed to other countries in the EU. You know, less than one percent mm. of these people have actually been transferred, according to the agreements in place. And we know that this because you know the, the equivalent. You know, y- it's easy to draw up these agreements, but ultimately, you know, if countries just turn and say we're, we're not going to take. People Your migrants, then you know, Italy stuck with them. It clearly is a completely dysfunctional system, um, and unless there is will, either for nation states to pursue aggressively pursue their own interests, mm-hmm. um, or there is will in Brussels to change tack, which I think is you know, mm-hmm. very you know, hard to mm-hmm. see happening in the certainly in the medium term, um, then this will continue. And
2: well, as I say, most of the institutions and apparatus of the international order, including the asylum system, were established after the Second World War, when people had an experience of refugees within Europe. But the experience of today's, today's world is so vastly different. The cultures are so vastly different we're talking about. The numbers are so vastly different. I think we need to completely break down those 1950s mm. institutions and mm. systems and develop a new one that's fit for purpose for the modern era. Yes.
1: I mean, the UN Refugee Convention certainly needs to be rewritten. Um, you know, yeah, as you say, it was built in a, in a world, for a world in a different time and a different set of conditions. It's no longer fit for purpose. One can hope that if there is sufficient interest in changing that by the European Union and countries like you know, the US, which is obviously facing a significant you know, immigration issues of its own, then maybe there might be enough impetus to actually you know, get some changes pushed through. But I can't see that happening in the United Nations because obviously for the vast majority of countries in the UN, um, you know, these people ultimately, they get to their destination country and they are major sources of foreign exchange um, for remittances. Um, so it does create a very, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's an impossible situation, I think, to resolve through the United Nations.
0: I think uh, it, it's interesting. I've, I've noticed a slight change in the language people are using now. I, I think there's been something particularly shocking. It was not unlike when Merkel let in, what, a million people back in 2015. And people are looking at this thinking, wait a minute, something is seriously going wrong here. And you're hearing about Europe being destroyed and this sort of thing within within
2: a few years.
0: Um, it's not so fanciful to say that actually anymore if this goes on.
2: I mean, look at DeSantis though, right? DeSantis has got such a great uh, scheme that he's been doing recently where he's been sending refugees, not refugees, he's been sending asylum Mm. seekers in Texas, to New York, to Chicago, Mm -hmm. where these famously liberal towns are are, uh, panicking Mm. and wanting to know immediately how they can build a wall around their cities. And if only there was a way for Maloney to send everyone directly to Brussels and Strasbourg, we might see a different policy within the EU. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, it's uh, yes,
0: exactly. Or, or, or in this, in the case of uh, this country, to Islington or, exactly. or wherever, or send them to uh, Theresa May's village, you know, Sunning, uh, beautiful little village, you know. And she recently said, didn't she, that uh, immigration is a very, very good thing for us, and basically shouldn't complain. So why well, not send them there? You know? Anyway. Thank you very much, Neil, for that. Thank Thank you you very much, Rove. Look forward, as always, to your comments. Um, Pretty serious subject this week. So please do keep them coming, won't you? And we shall see you next time. Thank you very much. Bye.